Canada's major banks are bracing for a tough earnings season amid these expected losses in commercial real estate loans. We're going to look at that story today. Also, concerns are growing over a potential bubble in AI-related investments, with parallels now being drawn to the dot-com era. The U.S. Supreme Court is weighing in on cases that could redefine social media platforms' control over content moderation. Airlines are hiking their fees and raising questions about the true cost of air travel. And electric vehicle sales are up but falling short of expectations. We're going to look at why. Today is Monday, February the 26th, 2024. Here are today's top stories. It's going to be a very busy week for the Canadian banking sector this week as all our major banks are gearing up to report their first quarter earnings. Some analysts are predicting some uh, bumps in the road. Um, on tap this week, we have Scotiabank and Bank of Montreal reporting tomorrow, Tuesday. Royal Bank and TD will report on Wednesday. And then to round the week off, we have CIBC and National Bank with their reports out on Thursday. Um, something they're paying attention to this time around, commercial real estate loans, they've been taking a bit of a hit. It's expected that all of the big banks are going to take a dent in their, in their uh, profits because of these issues. Analysts are bracing for a potential 12% drop in earnings year over year. Uh, again, driven by softer loan demand, higher reserves set aside for loan losses, especially in these sectors like commercial real estate, credit cards, and they've also highlighted auto lending as a potential problem there. If we focus in on the commercial real estate portfolios for just a minute, most of the Canadian banks have some exposure, ranging roughly from 7% to 12% of their total loan books. This isn't all coming out of the blue, though. When we think of the banks over the last few earnings reports, they've been proactively beefing up their reserves to cushion for potential defaults. Uh, these are being driven not only by these commercial real estate concerns, but also by other factors like higher interest rates, uh, increased risks in credit card, and as I mentioned, auto lending portfolios have been cited as well. Not everyone's overly concerned about this. For example, Matthew Lee, he's an analyst at Canaccord Genuity, and he says that while the space is undoubtedly challenged, it will be largely unimpactful to the big six Canadian banks giving their diverse loan books. So yeah, there's not a, and, you know, not everybody out there is sort of saying run for the hills because of these um, earnings reports, but be interesting to see how this shape out. Uh, on a broader note, as it relates to earnings, a couple of things to watch out for in particular um, are RBC's pending takeover of HSBC's Canadian unit. We've all heard about that lately. And then, of course, this issue that doesn't seem to go away is TD's potential penalties related to anti-money laundering probes uh, in the U.S. On a positive note, expenses are expected to ease off after you know the big surge that we saw last year. Thanks to cost-cutting measures like layoffs, a lot of the big banks have laid off a good, good chunk of their staff, and real estate adjustments. And that while these challenges do certainly remain, um, analysts, over for you know the most part, are cautiously optimistic uh, about the bank's ability to weather the storms and navigate the road ahead. So I would just say as we get into this week, you know, buckle up. It's earnings season. The ride is going to be a little bit bumpy, I would expect. But as always, uh, tune into the channel here. We're going to keep you updated every step of the way. I read a very interesting article over the weekend. It was written by a fellow named John Rapley. He's an author and academic, and he presents a pretty sobering analysis, I would say, of the current frenzy surrounding artificial intelligence um, in the financial markets. He does acknowledge the transformative potential of AI, but he warns that the current enthusiasm is driving this the AI-related investments particularly might be, at least for the time being, unsustainable and could lead to a bubble that will eventually uh, burst. He highlights the soaring valuations of the tech giants, you know, and he focuses in on NVIDIA, which of course is being the leader there. 
that company alone today is worth more than the entire stock market of many countries. I mean, it's just accelerated so much in the past year. This rapid rise has been fueled by investors' expectations of AI revolutionizing various industries and leading to you know unprecedented productivity growth. But rapidly questions whether this optimism is justified, and especially considering the limited evidence that we have so far of AI's broad-based productivity effects. And for those of you who lived through the tech crash back in the early 2000s, you may be feeling similar as well. Um, he also draws parallels to that dot-com bubble, uh, which ultimately burst. And uh, even though it did usher in these transformative technologies like the internet and social media, it still went through that very, very rough patch. But the feeling is very, very uh, much similar today to what was the feeling was back then. He argues that until AI demonstrates these tangible benefits for the wider economy, and he compares them to past technological revolutions like electrification, the current valuation euphoria may be unwarranted. He also attributes the current asset price inflation, including the AI-related frenzy, to loose monetary policies of the central banks. Particularly, he points to the Federal Reserves, and he warns that the asset inflation is exacerbating other economic challenges, such as rising consumer prices and a labor uh, market tightness. He strongly suggests that the AI frenzy could be vulnerable up to a sudden shift in market sentiment or economic conditions. And to sort of conclude, he advises investors just to brace themselves for a potentially turbulent ride ahead uh, as this AI bubble continues to inflate. If you fall into that group that believes that buying your own home is just a pipe dream, you should know about a company called Addy. Addy is a Canadian company that brings quality real estate deals to everyday people. They believe that everyone should have the opportunity to buy your property regardless of how much you make, your age, your gender, or your background. Thanks to Addy, these dreams for many can now become a reality. Addy is now open to Canadians in all provinces and territories. It's now Canada's largest real estate crowdfunding platform. If you want to learn more, you can join the Discord community. This is a very active, great place to chat with thousands of other Addy members. To get 50% off your Addy One membership, use the promo code BEVIS50. I'll put it on the screen here. I will put a link to their website in the description of this video. Also, congratulations to Max Nicholson and the team over at Blossom Social. As of this past weekend, the platform crossed over 100,000 member level. Um, after starting last year at only about 5,000. So that's phenomenal growth. And it truly is testament to the great work that Max and his team are putting in. If you're a DIY investor, you're looking for a sounding board as you try and make your day-to-day -day buy, sell decisions, or just try to figure out your game plan overall, check Blossom out. While you're there, you can check out my profile. My username is Mark B, so M-A-R-C-B. You can take a peek at the stocks that I own, the trades I make, and some of the reasoning behind why I do what I do. So again, congratulations to Max. It was a milestone weekend. The whole team uh, looking forward to seeing what 2024 brings. Potentially big news coming out of the U.S. Supreme Court this week that could shake up the whole online landscape that we're so familiar with. They're diving into a couple of cases that might just redefine um, how these social media platforms even operate. First up, there's Texas and Florida. They're both pushing to gain more control over what you see on your favorite apps. We're talking about Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. These states want to limit the platform's power to remove posts. And even if they're spreading hate speech or misinformation about elections, it's on everyone's mind right now, uh, this is basically mounting up to be a clash with the U.S. First Amendment. The heart of the matter here is whether these platforms can make decisions on content or whether the states, the states um, can set in. And 
if the Supreme Court sides with Texas and Florida, it will, could, possibly may change um, how we interact with social media, especially during election seasons. It's not a clear-cut case, though. There is debate about whether these laws actually violate the platform's own rights to free speech. And this is a really tough, uh, tough discussion here. When we look at what's at stake, if the states get their way, it means that social media companies will have to think twice before they take any uh, content down, even if it's harmful, even if it's misleading. And individuals will be able to sue the tech companies over content that they feel was unfairly censored. Florida's law, which was signed by Governor Ron DeSantis, um, it slaps pretty hefty fines on platforms that suspend or ban political candidates' accounts, regardless of what is being posted on those accounts. Over in Texas, that new law there, which is signed by Governor Greg Abbott, it would forbid major platforms from blocking or removing content altogether. Both states here, they're arguing that they're protecting free speech, but critics worry that it could open the floodgates for abuse and infor, infor, misinformation, even though I would suggest there's probably a lot of that on there right now. The Supreme Court's decision here could set a major precedent. I would say it will set a major precedent, not just about social media, but it's more about the limits of, the, of government control over online speech. I would say that these cases could redefine um, how we think about platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Uh, are they more like public utilities or are they private publishers? So I would say keep an eye um, on this one here. The outcome of these cases could have a ripple effect far beyond just your newsfeed. And I think it will shape um, the online expression and the boundaries of free speech in the digital age. Hold on to your wallets because there is some turbulence ahead in the airline industry. And while it's true that in Canada, the airline uh, airfares have been coming down, they've been on the decline as inflation has subsided, uh, I wouldn't get too celebratory yet. While these prices are coming down, the airlines are reciprocating by hiking other fees. WestJet and a few US airlines have recently bumped up their checked baggage charges. And Flair Airlines has uh, announced some other fee hikes and they've even added a surcharge for credit card payments. Airlines often promote these unbundled fares as a way that customers can pay for only what they want. But I joined the, the, the group of experts, I'm not an expert, but the experts who caution against these add-on fares, uh, the fact that they can quickly add up, I certainly fall into that camp there. Um, as an example, uh, WestJet just increased their check baggage fee by an extra $5 for travel that's booked after February 14th of this year. But passengers are questioning the need for these hikes, especially as you know, so many people are struggling with other rising costs as well. Not to pick on WestJet, it's not just them. As I mentioned, US Airlines, or US Airlines like American Airlines, Alaska Airlines, they've also raised their baggage fees recently and they cite reasons like dealing with rising operating costs. What about Air Canada? Everybody uh, here familiar with there. They haven't changed their baggage fees yet, but industry expert Carl Moore, he's an associate professor at McGill University. He studies the industry. He predicts that they probably will follow suit soon. He says airlines absolutely entice you with the low cost of the ticket, but then that low price is not as low as it appears with the ancillary fees. So what is a savvy traveler supposed to do? Well, more suggests avoiding paying for upgrades whenever possible. Things like bringing your own food, uh, sticking to a hand carry bag only. Uh, he does say be aware though that uh, some airlines like Flair might actually charge you even for a carry-on bag. So the bottom line here is keep an eye out for those extra fees when you're booking airfares. The fares themselves might seem lower, but by the time you actually get on the trip, uh, the total cost could end up being much higher than you'd expect. 
I want to take a look at an emerging electric vehicle story here and kind of look at why things don't seem to be living up to all the hype. It is true, sales are up, but there's still a big gap between the expectations and reality. First off, let's look at the numbers. EV sales in the US hit a record high last year. They, they came in um, over a million for the first time, but industry projections fell short. Bloomberg New Energy Finance, they expected 1.7 uh, plug-in vehicles to be sold in 2023, but only about 1.46 million made it off the lots. So you have to wonder what is leading to the disappointment. Well, a few things. First of all, for starters, EVs are still comparatively on the pricey side. They are, um, the, you know, most of their models come in sort of in that $50,000 to $60,000 range. That puts them out of reach for a lot of buyers out there. For selection, you're offered mostly SUVs with you know fewer options for people looking for sedans, compact cars. Uh, your options are more limited there. There's also the issue of the charging infrastructure. At this point, there, uh, quite frankly, there aren't enough public charging stations to support the widespread EV adaptation. There is hope on the horizon in that respect, and we've reported on this channel before that uh, seemingly all, a lot of the major uh, automakers are teaming up to install more chargers. And a key here, I think they're standard, standardizing the charging ports that will make things easier, more accessible uh, for, for drivers. Then there's the added confusion around tax credit. And there's significant tax credit available to EV buyers, but the rules can be very complex and these credits come and go. Uh, some of the credits are restricted based on the vehicle price, um, some on where it's built, and even the buyer's house household income sometimes comes into play. So when we think of what might be next for EVs, the industry definitely is adapting and no doubt they're going to figure things out. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. If we look at an example, a couple of weeks ago, we talked here about Ford. They've recently slashed the prices on its Mustang Mach-E SUV. They're working on more affordable EV models as are all of the big manufacturers. When we look at the improvements come online, we look at the charging infrastructure being built up, clearer incentives. Um, personally, I have no doubt that even though it might take longer than we'd like to see, there is a bright future ahead for electric vehicles in the years to come. I'm always very appreciative that you've taken the time to tune into this program. Thank you so much. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our Pulse newsletter. That goes out every weekend. And if you haven't already done so, you can visit our Investing Academy. I will put a link for both the newsletter and our academy in the video's description. Again, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you on Wednesday.